Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Pamela Paul is the author of 100 Things We've Lost to the Internet. She's also the editor of the New York Times Book Review and oversees all books coverage at the New York Times, which she joined in 2011 as the children's books editor. She's also the host of the weekly book review podcast for The Times. She is the author and editor of six books, How to Raise a Reader with Maria Russo, My Life with Bob, Flawed Heroine Keeps Book of Books, Plot Ensues, The Starter Marriage and the Future of Matrimony, Pornified, Parenting Inc., and By the Book, Writers on Literature and the Literary Life. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, the New York Times Magazine, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, and Vogue. She is a former contributor to Time and former correspondent for The Economist and has been a columnist for the style section of The Times, Worth Magazine, and The Economist. Rectangle Time, a picture book for children, was published in February 2021 by Philomel Penguin Books for Young Readers. Her next book for adults is 100 Things We've Lost to the Internet, which came out in fall of 2021 and which we just discussed in this episode. So please enjoy. Welcome, Pamela. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss 100 Things We've Lost to the Internet. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you for having me. It's sort of ironic that we're on the internet as we're having this conversation. I feel like we should have just for old time's sake, you should have been here in person. I know. I mean, everything, everything I say and do is ironic with this book, like Instagramming about it, like tweeting about it. Like every time I post something about it, I use an exclamation point and an emoticon, <laughs> both of which, you know, some have cemented the death of the period, which is one of the things we've lost to the internet. I actually thought about that one probably the most because I had this conversation recently with my daughter where she, I asked her to like text something to someone because I was driving and I and then she gl- she showed it to me quickly and I was like, no, you forgot the period. And she was like, I don't use periods. And I was like, what? Of course you do. And she's like, no, you're not supposed to. And I was like, yes, you are. And then I open up your book and I was like, oh. <laughs> it's really crazy. I mean, everything that we learned in Strunk and White is not true online. It's still true in what I think of as like book writing and real writing. I mean, I love a good deployed exclamation point in a novel. It can be so effective, but in a tweet or in 
an email or Slack to someone, you need at least seven exclamation <laughs> points. It's it's it really is the opposite. It's never use a period, always an exclamation point in online writing. And then in print writing, and what I sometimes think of as real writing, because I'm a little snobbish that way, it is always use a period and only use an exclamation point sparingly. But to use a period really can come, you can come off like a real jerk. I mean, it is better to say thank you with nothing at all rather than use a period. Or obviously it's best with three exclamation points, but better not to use a period because that's just sarcastic. You know, you're so right. (laughs) I remember right after I went to business school, I tried writing this novel and I was working with my other friend from business school, Lee Carpenter, who went on to be this like great novelist herself. And And I had all these exclamation marks in my manuscript. And I remember she had this huge comment. She's like, Zivi, you cannot use exclamation marks in fiction like this. And I was like, really? So I have been self-consciously using exclamation marks since like 2004. And every time thinking I'm doing something wrong, but I'm like, I'm just going to sneak one in. I'm just going to sneak in another one. And now you're like sanctioning the whole thing. It's amazing. It's funny. I mean, what I tried to do in this book is like, it. it's not just like noticing that this new thing has happened, right? The new thing is the exclamation points. The old thing, the thing that isn't there anymore is the period. And it's weird that we haven't talked about it more. It's true. And I have to say, I was kind of depressed after reading this because I miss all of these things. Like, I long for these days. I have such deep nostalgic yearnings for like so many of the ones. Let me see. I dog-eared like all of the stuff. Oh my gosh. The bookish boy was actually very troublesome to me as the mom of two sons that you don't see guys just like lounging about reading as much as you used to because now they're all playing video games and doing whatever else. I saw it's a man, true. Right. I saw a man on an airplane yesterday reading a David Sedaris novel in a hardcover and I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Are you loving it? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I have, I have three children and two of them are boys and I have to say a lot of their peers don't necessarily read. Some of them do. Some of them do. But what, what's kind of terrible is that the culture really does discourage boys from reading. But the point in the book that I make is so many of the things that drew boys to books the internet does, you know, and the internet is very seductive as we all know, like, Uh, you know, underscoring all of this is that we are all complicit. (laughs) You know, we are all willing participants in the internet, including me, including me. It's, it's, it's not all negative and it's more complicated than that. I hope I didn't depress you too much. Some of the things, you know, some of the things are good that they're gone, right? Yes. Yes. No, that is absolutely true. And I didn't mean to say it just like that way. You know, I mean, there are (laughs) something I'm glad I can remember people's birthdays now. I never used to be able to do that, you know, things like that school item. Some of these medical forms, huge lifesaver. I wasted so much time filling those out, even just like 10 years ago, by the way. So yes. I mean, it's interesting. We are so focused, I think, as a culture and especially in the media and online to constantly look forward. And we're always, and we're still, you know, sort of tearing our hair out of it and and, and wondering like, what is going on? You know, right now, for example, the headlines are all about Facebook and Instagram and sort of what the company has known and, and not known and what has been manipulated. And, but again, we're looking at constantly moving forward. And what I wanted to do is say, wait a minute, let's like, let's just pause for a moment and think about where we were. And part of that exercise, I think, is to make us all stop and think, wait a minute, (laughs) we actually do have 
have a choice with a lot of this. We do have a choice. It's interesting to me that with the internet, which is really a product, a service, and everything that we use on it are products and services. With technology, we're sort of always told to upgrade, to adopt, to download that app. And that if we don't, you know, we're sort of ignoring the future, we're a Luddite, we're somehow, you know, holding on to the past. And yet, those are just marketing messages, right? We get marketing messages about sweaters, about face cream, about toys for our kids. And a good you know, number of times, a good amount of the time, we say to ourselves, oh, that's nonsense. Like, I don't actually need that sweater. That face cream doesn't actually do anything. This toy, my kid is going to hate and it's going to break in five minutes. We listen to those marketing messages and we take it with a grain of salt. We're skeptical consumers. But strangely, with technology, we're not. It's almost mm-hmm. like we kind of have bought into all of those messages. But the truth is we don't have to do any of these internet-y things if we don't want to, just like we don't have to buy, you know, a new pair of jeans if we don't want to. I mean, I kind of need to because none of my jeans fit, but that's okay. <laughs> yes. Well, that is that is the pandemic and what it's done <laughs> to us. <laughs> I loved your section two on benign neglect because I really thought that was my mother's expression. I didn't know it was so <laughs> widespread as to make it into your book. She's She was always criticizing my parent, not criticizing, sorry, mom, if you're listening, but she was always suggesting that I hovered too much and that benign neglect was the way to parent. And I guess you would agree with that? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of it. I mean, it's interesting to me that, and I have to say, I think that, you know, there one of the things I love about most about the book is something I had really very little to do with, and that is the illustrations, which are by this amazing illustrator, Nishant Choksi. And I think that this one has like, is one of the ones that has this amazing, funny illustration. And so does another parenting one, which is a parent's undivided attention, which has yep. this like little child, like about to fall off a cliff while the mom is taking a selfie. And sadly, so true. Well, almost. (laughs) Hopefully no one has died or will. But yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of the ways in which we use the internet and the ways that we allow our children to use the internet, it's really, you know, and again, like I'm as guilty as anyone. It's about us. It's about the parents as much as it is about kids. So one of the main reasons, for example, that people say, oh, I finally got my kid a phone is because their child is commuting to school. And they say, I want my child to be able to get in touch with me. I want to be able to reach my child. So when you think about that, really, that's about control for the parent. And it's really hard. Like, I'm not judging anyone because I understand it. I get it. But it's about, yeah, it would be really nice to reach your kid anytime. But if you think back to what it was like before kids all had phones, And what did parents do when they wanted to get in touch with their kids during the school day? Well, they either waited for them to get home and try online or they would call the school, but only in an emergency. So think about that. That was deliberate, right? That's just the way it was. That's what we were used to. Maybe, like just maybe there's something good in that, both for kids and for us as parents. That's true. Yeah. And it's I mean, hard when, when you <laughs> don't have, but when you have the options there it's hard not to use them right like, yeah it's it's tempting 
It is tempting. I mean, look, the internet makes life a lot easier. And that's why there's no way to write a book about the internet and say like, oh, it's all horrible. I mean, certainly think about the pandemic and especially during lockdown, the internet was a lifesaver. It was the way, I mean, literally, it was the way that people got access to health information, to news, to connecting with their loved ones, to being in, in touch with people they needed to be in touch with for those who were able, you know, and lucky enough to work remotely. That meant their livelihood. So so it it it's really almost impossible to imagine just how terrible the pandemic would have been without the internet. I know I kept the every day I was like holding my breath that the Wi-Fi was going to just completely conk out. I was like, yeah. today's going to be the day and that's it. And I'll be disconnected. And it'll just be the kids and us and everything. <laughs> Terrifying. And yet, Terrifying. you know, what's so funny is that as the pandemic went on, right, I think we realized it was a very useful lesson in you know, first part one was like, oh my God, thank goodness we have the internet. This is a lifesaver. Then it was like, wow, what happens when everything is on the internet? What happens when our entire lives is internet? And then that was a really useful lesson. And I think especially for parents, it became really clear that no matter how much educators had argued for all kinds of uses of the internet in classrooms, reduce the classroom experience, reducing education to online only was really tough on kids and parents and teachers. You know, you definitely lost a lot when you don't have a real life teacher coming into a classroom with all of that energy and having her eyes on everyone in the classroom and being able to bring in kids to circle time who didn't want to be lured in and knowing what's happening in the back row and seeing the way kids are ignoring one another or connecting with one another. And then for the kids, you know, like for kids, imagine if, you know, for nursery schoolers, for kindergartners not to have those social connections. And then for high schoolers and middle schoolers, not to be able to catch someone's eye, like how do you start a friendship? How do you talk to someone? How do you, you know, make connections with other kids without anything, any interpersonal reaction, any of the bodily facial hand signals, like vibes that we get when we're just in the room with someone, all of that was gone. And I think every parent noticed the difference and the losses there. Okay, we can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it, and now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and It makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So, 
put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. 100% we've had like so much emotional setback <laughs> we've had yeah. to climb our way out of. Although I was so interesting because of course now that school's open, I've had like back-to-back weeks of various classes where everybody has to go remote because someone has COVID in the class or something. So anyway, this week, my son is here and just an hour ago, I heard the teacher say to them, well, you know, like tomorrow we get to be back in school. And literally all the kids cheered. They were like, yay, back in school. And yeah. I was like, well, this would <laughs> never have happened before. Ever. I know. Well, if you want to know how to get kids to like school, take <laughs> Get away. Yeah, then we'll see exactly. how happy they are. <laughs> Could have used something a little more subtle, but yes. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. So why write this book? What what made you spend what made you do this? How long were you thinking about it? Why turn it into a book? The whole story. All right. So, you know, there are a few different things that were going on. One is that when we talk about the internet, as I mentioned earlier, we're always eyes forward, eyes on the next thing. What's the next upgrade? When's the new product? What's the new app? How can I adapt? What does this mean for my future? And I really felt like, you know, and then maybe we sometimes talk about like, wait a minute, how did we get here? How did this thing become so popular? How did we all end up using, you know, Lyft or Zelly or whatever, you know, the the sort of internet toy is of the moment? But what I I think we don't do a lot of the time is think back and say, wait a minute, <laughs> what was it like in the before times? What, 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 what did we used to do instead of this? Like, how did we wish people birthdays? How did we like all talk as a group? Like, how did all of our college roommates talk to each other before the internet? Like, how did we all like connect? You know, it's hard to think like we didn't all get into group phone calls. No, we we actually waited for reunions or maybe we set up like fun weekends where, you know, a bunch of us could get together, but you didn't have a group chat. So it was kind of forcing, forcing me to think about like, well, as you go through your daily life, what are all the ways in which one uses the internet? And then what did we do before that? And kind of scrolling back and pausing and saying, remember what that was like, but also do we have to, does it have to be this way? Mm-hmm. And then the, the the other part of it too, is that I thought, well, not everyone who reads this is going to be as ancient as I am. And they're not going to remember all these old timey things. And I actually thought it would be really instructive. I mean, two of my kids have read it so far and like it's news to them, right? They don't necessarily know all of this. They haven't experienced it. They are digital natives. I'll give you one example of a technology thing that happened with my kids. And this is not an internet thing, but I found it really instructive. So like most people, you know, when you get a car, you have like three sets of keys or something. And there's that one key that's like the key of desperation that does not have the remote on it. It's just a key, right? (laughs) And so so we couldn't find, I couldn't find the other keys one day and I took like that key out and I guess I hadn't taken it. I went outside with my 16 year old daughter to go into the car, get into the car and I opened the door with the key. And she was like, oh my God, you can open a car with a key? (laughs) <laughs> did not occur to her. And like, of course, that's what we did for years and years and years and years. And that's essentially, you know, a metaphor really for the ways in which the internet has become so ingrained in our daily life that we really don't remember what it was like back 
in you know the yeah. olden times. Yeah, I mean, and 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 then the the immediate impetus for this book too was that I wrote a piece for the op-ed section of the Times. It was an op-ed called "Let Children Be Bored Again," and actually, my working title was "The Lost Art of Boredom" because I really missed, you know, that, that those moments of boredom, I was trying to cultivate them in my life because like most people, I have my most productive ideas, thoughts when I'm in the shower, you know, it's really annoying. Cause you're like, Oh, I got to rinse out my conditioner so I can go and like write this down before I forget it. But there's a reason why we have those creative thoughts in the shower. It's because we got nothing else to do. You know, we're pretty bored with washing. We know how to wash our body and our hair. So your mind wanders and does other things. And now, we don't really allow for those moments of our minds wandering because we have the internet. And I grew up, you know, sort of constantly languishing in the backseat of the car. And if I wasn't getting along with my brothers at that moment, and we weren't playing some kind of, you know, game like car bingo or whatever, I was subjected to my parents' horrible music coming from the front. And I just stared out the window and I, and my brain went where it went. And it struck me as a parent that now you know, there's no chance of that happening to my kids. There's so many podcasts we could listen to and we don't even all have to listen to the same thing, right? Once they have their own devices, everyone can be listening or doing their own thing. You could be, one person can be playing Fortnite. Another person can be listening to a music podcast. The third person could be listening to an audiobook. Like everyone is constantly entertained. And I thought, what do we lose? What do we lose? With all those gains, they are gains. What is it that we miss out on? And so it's interesting, you know, how you said earlier, and I, and I, I won't dwell on this any further, but that the book was depressing because when I was thinking about what to write about, I was thinking, I have all these feelings towards the internet and to the way in which our lives have changed for the better and for the worse. And a lot of it makes me upset and a lot of it makes me angry, but I want to kind of steer away from those emotions. And I want to get to maybe a more nuanced, slightly bittersweet place of like, Hey, just let's, take a moment. Let's take a moment and 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 pause and reflect and and think about these things for a while. And so those were the hundred things. I mean, I, I have to say it started off as like 168, but it ended at a hundred. <laughs> I swear I did not mean that this was like a depressing read full stop. <laughs> I, I did not mean for it to come across that way. I just meant I was I was longing for some of the olden days when things were yeah. simpler. And this reminded me, but it reminded me in a good way. I mean, there's like, you know, that those rose-colored glasses from when you're younger and everything seemed great with like, you know innocent trips to like, I don't know, the beach with an outdoor shower and the sunset and, you know, everything seemed perfect, but of course it wasn't. So right, anyway, right. no. And so I'm sorry if that, if I, if it, no, no, no. That, like you wrote a depressing <laughs> book, I totally enjoyed the book. It was great. It's great to like, remember and take stock and be honestly, I mean, the whole book is an exercise in mindfulness really, right? It's saying, here's where we are. Like, don't take this for granted. Like, look at this and analyze it. Do you like it? Do you not like it? And think about it. Don't let it just pass you by. You know, it's funny because I think a lot of it is also really funny. Like the kind of things that we did in the pre-internet era, I just posted on my Instagram notes that I'd passed in class because I've kept them all. I like, 
I have all the notes I passed. I have them in an accordion file, which is one of those things that most people yes. don't have anymore, <laughs> physical files and file cabinets, but I have them and the tabs are marked by grade. And I pulled out some of them and they, they, you know, amused me to no end. But of course, at the time we took it incredibly seriously. Like it, the whole passing notes thing, you could get caught. Your note could be read. An enemy could find your note. A teacher could get your note. You could get in trouble for what you wrote in notes. And yet we all did it. Like that was the most fun and exciting part of being in class. And it's interesting, you know, now, because of course kids are often on a device in class and they can, you know, they can go online and I guess they can, they can text each other. Right. So that's the version of passing notes, but there's something about having these physical objects that I just love. And now when I look back at them, they're pretty hilarious. Well, it's also when you talk about like things you've lost, I mean, I don't know about you, but for anybody who I've lost, who has passed away, the first thing I do is take an inventory on what I have left that they have written. Do I have a birthday card? Do I have a note? What pictures do I physically have? I don't go like, sometimes later I'll go searching through emails, but it's not the same. Like I hold on to those cards like they're a true gift. And that's something else I feel like, you know, you lose. It's not the same. It's just not the same when you when you lose that and, and migrate all to digital. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm assuming you have baby albums, right? Like, did you make like baby books for all your kids? I don't know if everyone does anymore, you know, like, and we certainly don't print out as many photos. I I don't know about you. Do you print out all the photos? I have to say I should turn my video back on because I have a whole wall that is photo albums, but I have started paying my son who's 14. He makes me a photo album every month through the photos app and makes it on Shutterfly. But if I I have, so I have a photo album from literally every month of my life. Well, you've done like an amazing hybrid internet, you know, sort of real photo thing, right? You're doing that from a website. No, I'm not, I'm not pasting them in anymore. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have... All, all those photo albums. And of course they were always in like a kind of disorder, at least in, in my life, you know, half of them would be four by sixes and some would be three by fives and some would be glossy and some would be matte and some would be faded and some would be ripped and some would be Polaroids. And like, you know, it's a mess, it's a mess in there, but it is interesting because I do think when you go through those physical objects, like it just brings back a lot, even the disorder, right? You can be yeah. like, oh yeah, I remember. Cause I pulled out that photo in order to use it for this project. And then I put it back in when I was done, I must've put it in the wrong place. It's like a bunch of things just comes flooding back to you when you have the physical presence of actual 3D objects. I literally have a tote bag in the bottom, in the back bottom, like of my closet hidden away. It's like this black tote bag with some magazine that's no longer in business, stuff full of negatives because I don't know what to do with them. Like yeah. I, I just don't, I don't want to lose them. I don't know where to put them, but what if I need them? I don't know. So yeah. I hear you. You know, and speaking of magazines, magazines, there is a thing. It's one of the chapters in my book is on magazines. I mean, yes, they still exist, some of them, but so many are gone and they're not the same as they once were. I mean, remember how thick the September magazines used to be and how exciting it was. Like if you had a long flight to go to the newsstand at the airport and be like, I'm going to treat myself to every single magazine I want. And like, I would, you would have like a heavy stack in your arms. It's true. No I still do that for my kids though sometimes. Those are good. You know, if there's anything that looks interesting, I'm like, here, have a magazine. Have Enjoy yeah. the flight. Take five minutes in case your iPad dies or something. <laughs> right. There's something to those National Geographics. 
Also, even with InStyle, I remember when they started doing features inside celebrities' homes, and I was like, no way, we get to see inside celebrities' homes? And now, yes. now on Instagram every day, it's like, here I am in my you know living room with from every single person. So Right, right. I mean, who needs you know, Star Treks or whatever, you know, the, all of the tabloid magazines with all the photos of stars, because they're all over the internet. Of course, what's funny is I personally never look at them on the internet, but I did really like back in the day to go and grab like a bunch of those, you know, I love people magazine. I loved, you know, grabbing a bunch of those gossipy kind of magazines on occasion at the dentist or the doctors and looking through them. But somehow, even though the internet has so much on it, somehow it's like the the glut of information, it's too much. And I never actually sit down and be like, you know what, I'm going to look at some nice photos of owls today. Or like, let's go on Google Earth and see what it looks like in Norway right now. I never do it. No, me neither. I mean, you could. I mean, (laughs) yeah, meet you in Norway. I don't know. (laughs) Well, so, I mean, this is so fun. And obviously, like, the book just starts so many conversations. Like, you are never going to be bored at a dinner party again the rest of your life if we ever go back to dinner parties because there's so much to discuss. You know, like, everyone has a story on everything. So, in a way, it's like a collective conversation that you've started, which is awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, th- I thought that, you know, it, it, we all kind of talk on occasion about one or two of these things. They come up like, oh, yeah, remember when? Remember that? And I thought, what if you gather them all up in one place and look at the accumulation, the cumulative effect? It's really kind of startling because then it drives home just how much things have changed. So true. Wow. Okay, so after this project, what's on your what's on your docket aside from I'm assuming you're gonna continuing with your own podcast and the New York Times book review and all that, or maybe not, I don't know, question mark. Yeah, I mean, I know I have a very, very full-time job at the New York Times and also, you know, hosting the weekly book review podcast. And I have three full-time kids. <laughs> and my last book was a picture book before this. And actually I'm working on another one of those. So amazing. Yeah, I really do love 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 books for children. And though my children are not in that picture book reading demographic, although they do enjoy them as an art, I, I've never totally let that, that go. I'd love that format. So that's my next thing. Me too. I love children's books. I'm like, are you guys really getting too old for these? Not yet, but soon. (laughs) Yeah. You're never too old for children's books. That's true. That's true. So do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I know you gave some the last time you came on. Oh gosh. I mean, look, I have a dog in this race. My advice is always read, 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 read lots of books, read books, because I think that's the best way to learn how to write. And gosh, it's really hard to deviate from there. Now that I have, you know, my children like to write as well. And they ask the same thing, like, should I, can I take a writing class, this and that? And my answer is always really the best thing, the best class, the best thing to do is to read and to write. There was an anecdote that I read recently. Oh gosh, I'm going to forget what it is because one of the things we've lost to the internet is our memories and I've lost (laughs) mine, but there was just this great anecdote. Oh, I think it was Sinclair Lewis, who was invited to teach a class or to give a a lecture on how to become a writer, you know, way back in the day, like in the 20s or the 30s. And he just got up and he said, everybody go home and read. (laughs) And he walked (laughs) off. And that was the end of the speech. I'm totally paraphrasing this anecdote. And someone will surely Google it, as we now can do, and be like, you know what? 
You got that wrong. It wasn't Sinclair Lewis. It wasn't in the 20s and 30s. What he actually said was X. But yeah, that's one of the things the internet has brought us, I guess. Amazing. All right. Well, Pamela, thank you. Congratulations on Pub Day. I should have started off by saying, so sorry that I'm doing this all in reverse. But anyway, congratulations on 100 things we've lost to the internet. And at least one thing we've gained is the ability for us to have this conversation right now. So there you go. (laughs) There you go. And next time, I hope in real life, Zibby. Yes, me too. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 